Time for From the Bench with Bench. I'm your studio host, Denny Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse with you here for another episode of From the Bench with Dench. And in studio today, a friend that goes back a long, long time for me, uh, 40 years or plus, 40 years plus, and uh, really even a connection before then with our upbringing being similar. We, we kind of um, uh, go back even further. And, uh, um, we'll dive into a few things with this guy. He's, he's a, a jack of many trades, man. You, you want to talk baseball? He's your guy. Um, he once told me he liked playing football better than baseball. Um, so, so he's a he's a football player at heart. Um, and, and then a, um, part of a, a minor league experience that um, we'll dive into in detail is a, this is the 35th anniversary of a, a phenomenal uh, thing he went through in his minor league tenure. And um, we'll talk into it. And uh, locally, he's a, a longtime uh, bar restaurant owner down in Beckemeyer, Illinois, in Clinton County. Everybody knows him down there, and I'm talking about Frank Colston. Frank, always good to see you. Good to see you, Denny. Thanks for having me. And uh, I, I really wanted to uh, uh, talk to you, Frank, um, just to, to kind of capture the spirit of the, the Salt Lake City Trappers. But before we do that, let, let's lay a little groundwork on, on how that came to be, uh, you know, how you ended up finding yourself playing in Salt Lake City. And uh, I go all the way back. Um, um, you and I are both born and raised in, in East St. Louis for, for a good portion of our youth. Mm-hmm. Um, me through eighth grade, you were through sixth sixth grade. Um, and, uh, and so we got a lot of similar um, stories to tell from our upbringing down there. Uh, now, you were further down in the city than I was. You, you guys, the Colston family was down on what, 41st Street, something like uh, that? We lived on 42nd and Audubon. And then uh, we actually moved to 44th Street. Oh, you moved out of the neighborhood yeah. all the yeah, way up to, up to 44th. Yeah, right? well, we moved up. We went big time and went to 44th Street. <laughs> and uh, and then in the sixth grade, we uh, the family left East St. Louis and we moved to Germantown in Clinton County. Yeah, so it was Germantown grade school you went to uh, to round it out? Correct. But before that, you were in the, part of the... the um, Belleville Diocese Catholic System with Holy Angels, right? Correct. I, I actually went to public school my first three years, which was Hawthorne. And, uh, you know, all of my, uh, like, Little League teammates and uh, my dad was an East St. Louis fireman. And uh, all those kids went across the street to Holy Angels. And... Uh, when I got to the fourth grade, I was eligible to play football, so I went across the street to Holy for, Angels. For football, Holy Angels had football that, that you yes. joined. St. Phillips had it um, up until that point, and they had dropped it at that point. Uh, but but they were heavily into sports. We played Holy Angels quite a bit in uh, baseball and, and basketball. Um, the great intramural stuff the diocese had going back yeah, then. It was always sure fun. Was. And um, even at your time there, you're a little later than I was. Um, uh, the uh, uh, playing there, there were what seven, eight Catholic schools still going in the in the St. Louis. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Uh, you know what was there? St. Joseph, St. Philip, St. Patrick, St. Martin's. 
Saint Adalbert. Saint Adalbert uh, the yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, it, it was always fun. You played somewhere different. Now, what I got a kick out of, and I, I don't know if you experienced the same thing, was uh, sometimes we'd have our games at Assumption or in East St. Louis Senior uh, High School. And uh, one season, our ref every every week seemed to be Jerome Heavens, uh-huh. right? Who is everybody our age is idol in football growing up, right? In, right. In East St. Louis, right? And and uh, and another season, we had Kellen Winslow uh-huh. uh, was uh-huh. refing our games at at, uh, at Eastside, so so that was always fun. Um, lo and behold, we were, were were both part of what's referred to as the Great White Flight out mm-hmm. of East St. Louis, whether it's racially motivated or economically, is up for argument. I, I would side with economics because maybe you experienced the same thing. I didn't view it at the time living there as being um, racial hatred being ramp, rampantly abundant. Yeah, nor did I. Yeah, and, and so, so I think it was more economics. Race played a little part, I suppose, in, in pushing that envelope a little bit. But uh, uh, So you come out to Clinton County, um, culture shock? Yeah, you know, I went from... Uh a concrete jungle to uh, a jungle. <laughs> and my, my parents had uh, bought 16 acres uh, and my dad had built a home there. We had been working on the house for a couple years. It was a real slow project. And he was, uh, we were planning on it moving there when he retired. Uh, we, we actually moved there a year or two before he did retire. But, uh, you know, I went, you know, in East St. Louis, I could walk out the front porch and, and go any direction and find me a ball game. Right. You know, within a couple blocks. Right. And then uh, when we moved to Clinton County, to Germantown, we didn't move in town. We were out in the country. Right. And uh, there was another family across the street, you know, and they were farmers and they had cattle and. And, you know, so I got to learn a little bit about that stuff and, and realize how not interested in it I was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could have been a little more interested. Maybe I should just say it like yeah. that. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a, a very big culture shock. You know, I, I went from uh, being surrounded by, you know, just kids playing ball all the time to uh, basically being alone. Isn't that amazing how that was in East St. Louis? And I'm sure you felt the same way when in 1995 the movie The Sandlot comes out. Yeah. And you're thinking, this was my childhood. Right. This is absolutely what what I grew up doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Uh, same here. Same here. Sure same, same experience too, really. Pretty, pretty phenomenal actually because we did the same thing commuted for a while while we built a house uh-huh. um, we're out in the middle of nowhere even more nowhere than where you were in, in Germantown we're, we're in rural Damiensville right <laughs> so, so yeah experience that, that same shock um, uh, funny stuff now you had older brothers um, uh, that, that did they had they finished assumption at that point yes they had all graduated and they all stayed in East St. Louis. So it was just me, mom, and dad that moved out in the country. Okay. And uh, so, and my dad still being a fireman, you know, he would work 24 hour shifts. So there, me and my mother, you know, I really had a, a great relationship with my mother through yeah. that, you know. Uh, 
we became best friends at a young age. That's, that's cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah. So yeah, she, you guys did need each other because because I remember that. Yeah, sometimes you're just stuck yes. at home, right? You mm-hmm. you just ain't you. You can't get anywhere with lack of a vehicle or whatever. Right. Uh, if you're like me, my mom didn't even drive. So, so if I was stuck at home, it, it, it was the same thing. Uh, but yeah, you're just kind of stuck out there. And so, so you, do, you do force a bond that you, you didn't realize was there. Right. What about the baseball love? I, I, you were a switch hitter. I was. You know, I, uh, I never really cared to hit from the right side. Uh, but I could do it. And uh, when I got into pro ball, in minor league ball, that kept me in the lineup. You know, it might move me down the batting order uh, several notches, but it kept me in the lineup, and I was willing to do that for that. Now, in college, they wouldn't let me switch it. Yeah. Because, you know, I, the left-handed breaking ball didn't tear me up that bad. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I would hit it the other way. Yeah. And I... And I, I so, had, were, you, were you influenced? Like, uh, I was, for one... Um, being a huge Ted Simmons fan. Ted Simmons, my man. Yeah, yeah. Same here. My my all time favorite Cardinal. Actually. Me too. Absolutely. I, I, I was a car, I was a, a catcher uh, through those years. Now, one thing I wanted to, to kind of dive in with you a little bit was the transition from one level to another, mm-hmm. and that's what bit me. Or I was a pretty decent grade school player, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it was essentially local talent, and that's it. Um, you know, we I, I was a catcher for. Um, Dale DeBorge, who was a pretty good athlete up here in Highland, he too had moved uh, after school. Now his older brother went to Assumption, was a real good athlete. Okay. And Dan probably what played was his name? DeBorge. Okay. Um, uh, Dan DeBorge was his older brother, and uh, he was a pretty good athlete over at Assumption. Um, but that was it. He was straight. He was a year younger than me, so, so he was throwing straight fastballs and stuff. And I think I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I was good in grade school. I'll go out at Central. You know, we moved after my eighth grade year. I go out there. It took all of about three practices for me to realize this is a different level. This is a different standard. Because mm-hmm. now in high school, you got feeder schools. So you got essentially yeah. the, the best players from all the local feeder schools playing baseball now. And so it's like an all-star team, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, um, yeah, I'm sure you know Bruce Benoff. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce an excellent baseball player. Mm-hmm. He was a good pitcher in high school. And it, it took about a 10 minutes of warming Bruce up that I realized, all right, I'm in over my head already. Uh, because there, there's this thing called a curveball that I have absolutely no idea where it's going. Right. And I could stop him, but my, my legs were bruised, my chest was bruised, and, and stuff like that. And, and, and I was even worse at hitting it. So, so my baseball career comes to an abrupt end. Uh-huh. Did you experience first that, that level transition from grade school to high school or did you you just felt like you fit in right away um, uh, I now uh, that you know that's a good question I'll say this mentally uh, I I was scared going in yeah you know uh, it didn't take long for that fear to subside yeah. you know and in most places that's how it, it was for me because once I got to start hitting then a lot of things kind of took care of themselves, you know. Uh, I, but, you know, when you talk about when you realize that uh, you had maybe hit your wall as far as how far you were going to go playing when you, when you got to catch Bruce, you know, I would like to comment on that, that 
we all hit that wall. Yeah. You know, and that's something, you know, even the big leaguers that play 20 years. Right. You know, we see Albert Pujols trying to hold on to that wall right now. Right. And I'm rooting for him all the way. Right. But it happens to everyone, be it from eighth grade to ninth grade or after a great career. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the time comes when the actual game itself. Well, I, I noticed when you talked about that, and you were nervous each time you made that transition, but you got a huge smile on your face when you said, but then I got the hit. So, yeah. so that when you get that bat in your hand, the, the confidence level just shot up for you. Yeah, things happened, you know. I, 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 I don't know how to really say it other than I, I had a gift, you know. And my hands and my eyes worked good together with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've had such a passion for hitting at such a young age. And, you know, here pops in my mind is Ted Simmons again, you know. And I, I used to try to uh, mock him and or imitate him in every way I could. Do you, do you do take it as far as I did? I started smoking because Ted <laughs> smoking in the dugout. <laughs> the first time I seen Ted smoking a cigarette in the dugout, I about fell out of my chair. I looked down in that cardinal dugout with a pair of binoculars, and then I realized he he was gonna he was having a cigarette every inning. So. Yeah, I might have followed that path, too. I, I did. Yeah, funny stuff. So at Central, you played for Warnicky uh, or Chago? Played for Mr. Chago the first year. Uh, actually, the first two. And Mr. Chago had coached my brothers at Assumption. Oh, yeah. So he, I think he had... I would like to think he had a natural like kind of liking for me. But no, but knowing my older brothers, it could have it could have been different than that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I remember my sophomore year, he called me up. I had a class with him, and he called me to his desk and said, uh, "That day, the it was the first day of practice, and JV was practicing right after school, and the varsity was practicing at five thirty. He called me to his desk and and asked me which practice I was coming to." I said, I don't know. And I was looking for, looking to him for the answer when I realized he was looking to me for the answer. And I said, 5.30? And he said, okay, see you then. <laughs> and, uh, and I tell you what, I, I caught it, you know, and I don't know about anyone else, but I can say that in my baseball career as as uh, brief, or as long as it was, however you choose to look at it, I've been really lucky. You know, that the first opening day of that sophomore season on varsity, we had a doubleheader. So he put me out in right field for the second game. I hit two doubles to left center field and uh, stayed in the lineup all year. And I, I, you know, I know I hit like 315 or something as a sophomore and that that's that season right there is what transitioned my passion for football into baseball yeah and I still love football 
But I, I got beat up in it so bad, I thought, I'm safer catching yeah. in baseball. <laughs> At least I got that gear on. Well, you you um, <laughs> you played varsity freshman year in football, didn't you? It was sophomore year. Sophomore year. Yeah, and when actually when you were out, I got to I got to start. Yeah. But when you came back, you know, I went back to the sideline. Yeah. It was a backup. But uh, that was really cool. Yeah. You know, that was that was. Uh, that was probably Joe at that time. You were you were subbing. I was I was there when you were a freshman. And I was a sophomore. You was a senior. Yeah. Your senior year. Yeah. I was a sophomore. Okay. Yeah. The memory ain't what it used to be. But yeah. But yeah. And yeah, because yeah, Bernie was a senior when I was a freshman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh. Is it central? Then, what was it that? Why did you miss the first couple games that your senior year? I didn't. I wasn't playing defense oh. my first couple games. Okay. And then uh, I mean, it wasn't you. It was somebody else I bumped out. It was I, me. I thought it was Mark Feeney, but but couldn't could have been you. Yeah, it was uh, me. But um, uh, yeah, he put me in at linebacker, and I never. And you tore it up. I never never left it. Yeah. Right. So okay, okay. I get mixed up on the those classes. I, I was thinking you were a freshman, but <clears> but uh. Um, yeah, and you you had mentioned uh, the love, but but you got hurt your senior year, and that really put the kibosh yeah. to any yeah. any thoughts of maybe trying football at the next level or anything. Yeah, right? yeah. The first game, I uh, dislocated my shoulder, and I continued to play all year, and and through the baseball season, and I had surgery the following year, and in that year, my soul my shoulder probably dislocated. Uh, I mean, uh, you were one of them guys. hundred times. You were one of them guys just yeah. popped it back in. And yeah. And, crazy. And it was that flash pain, you know. I, I would wake up some mornings it would be out of socket. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, but by that time, I really had made up my mind I wanted to play college baseball. Because uh, I, I played at Trenton Legion, and the coach there was a guy named Mike Brown. And Mike Brown uh, took my passion for hitting to another level. Yeah. You know, he would, like when I would take BP, he would come back behind the cage and, and say things. You know, he didn't do that with everyone else. Yeah. You know, and some of the guys would actually kind of razz me about that. But, you know, I was a left-handed hitter, and he was also. And, and I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, but he took a liking to me, and he, and he, you know, stayed on me to be consistent, you know, not give it bats away. So, Stuff. so, so when he's saying, when you say say things, is he, he doing technique things with Absolutely. you? Absolutely. You know, yeah. Drop your hands lower when it's yeah. a 3 2 count, you know, uh, or, or something. Yeah, like there that. was uh, maybe not that in detail, you know, since I was just 15 when, uh -huh. when I started playing for him. But, uh, I think he did try to somewhat model me after the way he hit, and it, it worked good for me. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, like, I used to feel like when I played football, I always did real well, and when I did baseball, I was okay. You know, but a after playing Legion Ball in Trenton, those, I played there uh, four years. You know, I, I'm a member of their Hall of Fame, and... Uh, 
they put me in there and didn't tell me about it and had me come over to a game. And actually, it was me and that coach, Mike Brown, the same night. Yeah. And uh, they told me he was going to be there and that, you know, it'd be nice if I was there or that they were putting him in the yeah. Hall of Fame and it'd be nice if I was there. They surprised you with it there? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then they told him the same thing. And so, uh, and they kept us apart. Yeah. When we got there. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was a really great surprise. And uh, that's where my passion for baseball really went to the next level was playing summer ball, Legion ball. Because you know what? We played 50, uh, 55 games. And yeah. I loved that. Yeah. You know, in high school, I think my senior year, we were maybe 20 and 6 or something. And it just wasn't enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But. A good competition in the uh, Legion Ball, too, right? It, it is. It is. You know, uh, it, there might be, uh, you know, by that time, the guys that are just going out for the ball club have pretty much, uh, I don't know, for lack of better words, weeded themselves out. You know, uh, you know, playing Legion Ball, you're really making a commitment yeah. to the game and to yourself. So, you know, because that's, you know, that's your summer. Yeah. Yeah, I used to ask my dad, Dad, how come we don't go on vacation? He goes, <laughs> what? I said, why don't we ever go on a vacation? He says, well, you play baseball. <laughs> I said, yeah, but there's guys on the team. They go on vacation. He says, no, baseball is your vacation. <laughs> so I was good with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny stuff. Funny stuff. Do you ever play against? Somehow it sticks in my head that you played against Gary Gaetti. Never played against Gary. Uh, my first year of Legion ball. The year before that okay. was his last. I, I see. I, I and, thought there was some kind of. Yeah, but his name was legendary yeah. on the fields at that time. Right. right. And then uh, it wasn't long after that. He was in the big leagues. Right. Right. You know, he, and he had played at Carlisle. Skyrocketed, yeah. And, and he played for Voight Lantern, who was was a very dear friend of mine. And, uh, you know, Voight used to tell me all kinds of Gary stories. And Gary's been to my place a couple times, but I not when I was there. Yeah. And I, I just first met him this past year at his uh, baseball academy yeah. in Centralia. Is that right? Oh, yeah, they got an awesome place over there. Yeah, I, I've heard An awesome that. facility, yeah. and they do great work. And I have given a few uh, a few catching instruction lessons there. And, man, that place, if you have a son or a daughter that is interested in baseball, softball, you might owe it to yourself to check it, just yeah. check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard he had a, a nice... Um, set up over there and, and such first mm -hmm. endorsement I heard like that though so that's that's great stuff yeah you know of course Gaetti from the Centralia uh, area so mm -hmm. so yeah good to see him settle back down and, and give back to the community there yeah and, and that's the whole purpose you know you know the, like uh, one of the times when I was uh, talking with Gary you know he said it's all about giving back you know and and I can relate to that like you know if I don't help some of these younger kids with what I know or at least put it out there for them then I forget it yeah. too yeah 
you know, it's almost like for me to remember it, I got to pass it on. Yeah. You know, to keep it, you got to give it away. Sort well, of. Well, I'll jump in a little bit about because that's what I was thinking your reason for hanging around the Clinton County League so long uh, was mm -hmm. for after you um, um, hit that crossroad you were talking about of, I'm going to walk away from this. Um, you never really did walk away from it. So you go to Louisiana Tech. Was that on a scholarship? or what It was, was, yes. Okay, so you go down to La I went Tech. to BAC first. Yeah. And we actually, uh, my first year there, we uh, came one game away from going to the World Series. And I think we're ranked 18th in the final polls. Yeah. And then my second year there, we went to the World Series. Yeah. And we lost our first two games there, but we got fifth in the country. And, but to get there, Denny, is one of the most amazing baseball stories I've ever experienced. <clears throat> we, were in, we were actually in Flint, This Michigan. should be good, because I know the other amazing story quite well. <laughs> <laughs> we're in Flint, Michigan. And it's us, Flint, BAC, Flint, Michigan, and Triton Junior College out of Chicago. Which, uh, which who had beaten us the year before to go to the World Series. They actually beat us a doubleheader. We only had to win one game. Yeah. And we were rained out three days in a row. And they told us, if we don't play today, they, they're flipping a coin because the World Series starts Friday. So we played on a terrible field. They swept us a doubleheader. It, it was terrible. It was just a very bitter taste right. right so the next year we go up there same three teams and we both beat the Michigan team and then we play each other in the first day they are at this time number one in the country 55 and four wow we put up five in the first inning on them and we was just gonna have a heyday right Make a long story short, we come around. We can come around to the bottom of the ninth, and we're up by two runs. They load the bases, and a guy hits a fly ball in the devil's triangle there between center right and the second baseman. <clears throat> no one gets a glove on it. The guy from first was off with the pitch, safe at the plate. We lose. They beat our ace, a guy named Jim Bainey. We went back to the hotel. On the way back to the hotel, the coach, a man named Dick Swift, yeah, I remember him. got off the bus downtown Flint, Michigan. And I remember saying to my roommate, I said, where's he going? And my roommate said, he's sick, Frank. We just blew a game, a five-run lead against the number one team in the country. He's sick, and I'm sick. And I said to myself, well, we get to play him again tomorrow. And my roommate said, yeah, who do we got left that's going to get these guys out? <laughs> and I said, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. So anyway, the next morning we get on the bus. And I, you know, I sat towards the back of the bus. And somebody says, Frank Swifty wants you. And I look up and Coach is standing there and he says, He's got his fist balled up, and he says, Frank, can you feel it, buddy? Can you feel it? And I'll be honest, Denny, 
I couldn't feel much at all about that. <laughs> and I, I faked it and I said, yeah, <laughs> like that. And, and when I sat back down, my roommate says, you're a terrible actor, Frank. <laughs> I said, well, like you said, who do we got that's going to get these guys out? They're 55, 56 and 4 now. And uh, we did have a guy named Kevin Poor who was drafted out of high school as a pitcher but didn't sign because he wanted to go as an outfielder, as a hitter, and he could hit. Well, he was going to pitch for us, all right? And he had thrown like three games maybe in in that year. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. And he comes out and we beat him seven to two. <laughs> and he ate him up. And it was a quick game. And we're all sitting in the dugout like, okay, now what? <laughs> and Kevin Poor, who just threw a gym, walks up to the manager and says, hey, Dick, I think I'm good for another seven or eight innings anyway. And you could just see everybody's light bulb in the dugout go off. You know what I mean? He pitched all nine innings of the second game, and we beat him eight to three. That's a doubleheader that day? That day. He threw 18 innings. That's 1908 legend stuff. It's legendary. I cannot believe it didn't at least make like faces in the crowd in in Sports Illustrated, you know. He threw 18 innings against the number one team in the country and we swept them a doubleheader to go to the World Series. (laughs) Yeah, that that was beautiful. I'll tell you this. When we got on that bus, that, that bus ride home from Flint, Michigan, what a ride. Yeah. Because somebody came on the bus with a case of champagne and a box of cigars <laughs> and a bunch of other people were making contributions to the bus ride home also. <laughs> so we had quite a ride home. And, uh, you know, we got out to the World Series and we faced the Dodgers' first-round pick, a guy named Sean Hillegas, and he too hit us. Yeah. And then we... Uh, the next day, we played a team called Southern Idaho. And Southern Idaho, we put six up in the first inning on them and lost 13-12 to 12 in the bottom of the ninth. And they won the whole tournament. Is that right? Yeah. And I actually played with uh, their starting shortstop three years later in my first year of minor league ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So small world. Yeah, and then I was recruited out of BAC by the by the head coach at Louisiana Tech, a uh, hard Southern gentleman named Pat Patterson, and uh, I went down there and you know I was recruited to catch, and I pulled up at the stadium when I got there. You know it was the first time I ever left home, and when I left home I cried from Beckemeyer till Paducah. <laughs> cried like a baby and got down to Louisiana and pulled up at the stadium had a beautiful stadium facilities which actually was uh, destroyed by a tornado two years ago they've rebuilt and it's supposedly even you know yeah. more but uh, 
I can remember, and the, the assistant coach who I had met, met me at the gate. And we're talking, you know, you know, exchanging pleasantries, whatever. And over his shoulder, I see a guy throwing a, a bullpen down the right field line. I'm not looking at the pitcher, though. This guy catching. And from one side of the field all the way to the other, I watched this guy catch about three or four pitches. And I asked the coach, hey, who's that down in the bullpen? And he said, uh, I think it was Mike Jeffcoat, who he says, oh, he, throw, he works out here in the offseason. He's with the Rangers or something like that, you know. And uh, I said, no, not him. Who's that catching down there? Because I could tell this guy could catch. I mean, catch, right? Yeah. And he says, oh, that's a guy named Pat Moore. He was a 12th round pick of the Orioles last year, but decided not to sign and just signed with us last week. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh boy. Because I, I could look at this guy and tell he was yeah. like something else behind the plate. And then I found out he was a 12th round pick and he hit like 190. Oh, okay. You know, he was, uh, he, he, he could catch. And uh, so my second day in, in Louisiana, I bought an outfielder's glove off one of the guys in the dorm. <laughs> and uh, Jim Bainey and my roommate, a guy named Sam Moore, would hit me 100 fly balls a day after practice. Because I didn't want to go all the way down there and sit. Yeah. You know, I knew there was too many places I could play. And... But, you know, this was the what I thought was the best that recruited me. You know, I had gotten some, some interest from Vanderbilt, and then I think they got a copy of my transcripts. And uh, <laughs> so, so I didn't hear any more from them. Robert Astroff didn't modify anything <laughs> for you? You know, <laughs> had only I asked. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and I, I got a lot of interest from Ole Miss. But uh, as soon as uh, Coach Patterson made the offer to me to sign, I, I signed it. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, I know I, it, it, you know, like you said, it didn't take you long to figure right. out. Yeah, it didn't take me long to figure out I'm probably not going to do much catching around here. So uh, I wound up winning the right field job and I got hot with the bat early. And, uh, heck, Denny, I, I wound up uh, the first-team all-conference outfielder and uh, all-Louisiana outfielder. Louisiana picks an all-Louisiana team. There's 15 colleges yeah. in Louisiana, only one junior college. And they pick a, a team. And so I, I, I made the first team on that, you know, I... But I, I did lead the conference in home runs and RBIs, and I think I was third in average. So, uh, you know, I and and in the outfield, if I got to the ball, I catch it. You know, I I, I wasn't error prone, and they did send me to get some uh, contact lenses. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, it, and 
Just like most people that are nearsighted say, when I came out of the dentist, or dentist, out of the eye doctor's office with contacts on, I could see the leaves on the trees for the first time. And all of a sudden I could see a pitcher's face. I thought, wow, have I have I been hitting by sound or what? <laughs> Maybe this is why I go the other way so good. I'm so late. But, you know, yeah, I got me some contact lenses and I, I played the outfield. And so I didn't get drafted. I thought, you know, I had a, a, a shot at it. Uh, so my senior year, I, I went back to Tech and the coach had recruited three outfielders and there was only there were no spots available from the previous year all three guys were back and so uh, the first week of the season uh, well, that that junior year once I started hitting I did wind up catching 12 14 games uh-huh. something like that and and he had complete confidence in me behind the plate and I did a good job but I, I can say I was no Pat Moore he, Pat wound up playing, I think, three or four years in the Cardinals organization before a uh, shoulder injury uh-huh. finally had forced him to retire. And so our senior year, uh, I, I, ca- I caught like two games in the first week, and then I DH'd the other ones. And then we went on our road trip through Texas. And while at the University of Texas, uh, our first game with them matched up Jim Bainey with Greg Swindell, who I believe is still the NCAA strikeout leader. And uh, by the way, he got me four times. Yeah. Four times. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who the heck strikes out four times? Anyway, so, but we're, we're locked up one to one after nine innings. We go 16 innings. And at the time, they're number one in the country. And, uh, we go 16 innings and lose two to one. The guy we brought in in the 16th walked four guys in a row. And so we really didn't even have time to get anybody up. But that 16 inning game, Pat Moore hurt his shoulder. And that was like two weeks into the season. So he decided to red shirt. And and that is where I say I, for my myself, I, I was pretty lucky in that yeah. respect. And then I, so I got to catch, and I had a really good year, and I was the first team All Conference catcher, and uh, first team All Louisiana catcher, and uh, there probably isn't too many guys that done that at two different positions, right? You know, right? Over you the know, years, uh, quite the accomplishment yeah and you know I found out last year a guy brought in an article that I was named to the all-conference decade team oh is that right yeah and I I, yeah. I didn't know that you know <laughs> and uh, the all-conference decade team I only played there two years you know now you were there did you run into Carl Maloney sure yeah oh yes oh yes yeah. big Carl I can now, I didn't have any classes with him or anything, so I didn't, but all the athletes ate on the training table. Uh-huh. And Big Carl, I'll tell you how tall Big Carl is. The middle of his biceps are right where my eyes are. <laughs> <laughs> and Big Carl, 
you know, he, we were there uh, same time our junior year. And Big Carl would come to the baseball games, too. Yeah. For, for those who are not uh, aware of who Big Carl Malone is, the mailman played uh, NBA, a Hall of Famer, played for years with the Utah Jazz. So, so uh, um, pretty cool you were um, yeah. classmates with him there. Yeah, and you know what? I remember one time they told us, they said, hey, you ought to see Carl's dorm room. He was never there, you know. And so one time uh, some guys come down and they said, come on, look at his dorm room. So we went upstairs, his dorm room, the door's open. He's got a big screen TV. Now this is 1985. Right. <laughs> and there's nothing in the room except maybe a thousand VCR tapes <laughs> and a couple chairs. And that was the uh, Carl's gift to the other basketball team. That was their theater room. <laughs> but Big Carl, and you know, when I was in Salt Lake City, Carl would come to the games there too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's really, I should have got to meet him and hang out with him a little bit, but I just never did, mm-hmm. you know, just never did. You know, uh, I mean, in passing, but that was that was about yeah, it, yeah. you know. So so you you finish up at La Tech, mm-hmm. and this minor league team, I refer to them. There was a great documentary a couple of years ago called "The Battered Bastards mm-hmm. of Baseball of the '70s," the Portland Mavericks, right? Yes, yeah, very With familiar. Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell's dad mm-hmm. putting a bunch of free agent, unaffiliated, Class A minor league team. Correct. I view the Trappers as the battered bastards of the 80s. Is that, is that somewhat accurate? That's, that, <laughs> that is a very fair assessment. Uh, you know, there's only a couple differences, really, because I think Bing Russell, Kurt Russell's father, was somewhat maybe a mentor to uh, a man named Van Schley, who was, I would say, the... You know, there were, I don't know, a, a dozen, 15 owners of the Trappers. But Van was the man. Right. And uh, somewhere along the line, I did hear that Bing Russell was his mentor. And, you know, the differences there in Portland with the battered bastards, you know, some of those guys were ex-big leaguers. Right. You know, like Jim Booten was there. And now in Salt Lake City with the Trappers, uh, you, you couldn't have played higher. You know, right. you could have played at that level, and then, but you can only play at that level two years also in the Pioneer League. Right, and that was some of the criticism of the Trappers was uh, some people thought they were too experienced for that mm-hmm. league, mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was uh, unfounded uh, yeah. to a degree because of, because of uh, uh, following those rules you just mentioned. You, mm-hmm. you know, two-year limit and you couldn't have played at a higher level. You had maybe more college players with experience in some of the other teams, but mm-hmm. that wasn't against any rules or anything. So, right, so, and that is yeah. true. You know, we had all come from college, and and uh, but you know, like the teams that we played, you know, uh, like the Dodgers' first round pick that year was uh, was a high school kid, but you know, he was a star too. Right, and he made it to the big leagues. A dude named Dave Hanson. Uh-huh. And he played in the big leagues for probably 10 years, you know. So, and, and I think when it came out on paper, we actually were not even the oldest team in the league. Yeah. You know, now, uh, 
that's hard to believe. But, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But we were not, uh, you know, like I remember Whitey Herzog made a comment that we were all a, a bunch of double-A talent guys out of college that probably weren't prospects. And that comment there may have been right on the money. At the same time, it was fuel for our fire. Right, right. You know, I mean, we, we, we didn't have the luxury of picking our own schedule. You know, we we tried to take down whoever was put in front of us on a so, daily basis. So were basis. you signed by the Trappers or after a tryout, or, or did they know who you were and said, hey, come play for us? Well, uh, a scout in Baton Rouge my senior year at Tech, we went to LSU for the regional. And I, I hit a couple of nice home runs there. And, and a Yankee scout actually told our assistant coach that they may draft me in the early 20s rounds, the 20s rounds. And your father had a friend who was a big Cincinnati Red scout that came and watched me. In fact, he wound up signing my uh, my road roommate yeah. <laughs> who made it to the big leagues with the Reds too. But uh, uh, the draft came and went, and there was no phone call. And I, I kind of was in a, uh, a state of depression, confusion, Yeah. you know, because I really had put the majority of my eggs in this basket, you know. And uh, I was just out to sea. You know, I was a I was a tin cup out in the middle of the sea, really, and I was pouring concrete one day, thinking about how miserable I was, <laughs> sitting on my pity pot, and uh, got a phone call where I was working, and it was my mom, and she said, "Hey, that <clears throat> a man from called here from Salt Lake City, wanting to know if you got drafted." And she said, "You know, I told him no," and he said, "Well, he own, he owns a team in Salt Lake City." and uh, wanted to talk to you. He's gonna call back tonight, all right? So that was a Friday. On Friday, Van Schley called me and he said that uh, his scouting reports on me were very good and that he thought there would be a spot on their team, but all, that next following week was gonna be a week of tryouts. And uh, the only problem was the Giants had a couple catchers that they didn't want to release. And it asked him, could they play there while the Giants paid them and still maintained uh, ownership of them. And we had a couple Japanese pitchers on that team that were owned by the Brewers. So anyway, he says, I'll call you Sunday night, Frank, and I'll let you know. I thought, oh, well, I got some hope anyway. Yeah. And he said, he's going to call me Sunday night at, at 7 o'clock. And so uh, the number he had was my mom and dad's store. They, they lived behind the store, and my mom would not put a phone in, in their place because she said, I answered a phone 15 hours a day. I'm going home. I don't want nothing to do with a phone. <laughs> so I had to take my calls at the store. So I'm sitting in there, 7 o'clock, no phone call. 8 o'clock, no phone call. 9 o'clock, 
no phone call. 10 o'clock, my mom and dad lock the store up and go home, and I'm sitting there in the dark. 11 o'clock, no call. Midnight, the phone rang. <laughs> I can still see that phone in my mind's eye. Yeah. And just, because you know what? That phone call changed my life. You know, when Van Schley invited... It was only 9 o'clock out there. He's only two hours late. Yeah, right? he, yeah he's <laughs> two hours late by his time. That ain't so bad, right? And uh, so he called and he said, Are you ready to come to Salt Lake, Frank? I said, Yes, sir. And he says, Your flight leaves at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning out of St. Louis. So I went home, packed a bag, took a nap, and my brother <laughs> took me. And, and, you know, I made the team out there and... and uh, we actually beat the Dodgers in the championship, won the league and the and the playoffs, and uh, now was this '86 or this was '86? Yeah, and you know I hit I think 314 or 311, something like that. I think I was in the top ten in the league in hitting, and no one bought my contract. The other catcher on the team got his contract bought. He hit 240. He he could outcatch me. Not by that much, oh, yeah. but he could. And uh, when so, you say outcatch, is it he could make a snap throw to first that you couldn't, or something like that, or no, or is it I, just calling a game, or no? I would say that the consistency of his arm. Yeah. You know, I, once I learned the proper footwork of a catcher, which I did not learn till my senior year of college, my arm got. Well, I guess I always had a good arm. But without the proper footwork, it just was out of sync. You know, but once I learned that, I got better and better and better. You know, I, I think, uh, and that, that's something even today that I teach. That, you know, like, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a very good hitting instructor. Because you know what? I didn't get a whole lot of instruction myself. Uh -huh. They kind of always just let me go. You know, but catching, I got a lot of instruction, <laughs> and I can pass that on, yeah. and that's, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. You yeah. know, but uh, I don't know where we was when I went off there. But well, well, eighty six. Oh yeah. At this time, if I remember reading up correctly, Jim Gilligan was an assistant. Correct. That took over as head coach for Correct. the next year, right? Yes. Uh, what kind of relationship do you have with with him? Me and Jim Gilligan are like oil and water. We don't mix well, but we love each other. <laughs> no, well, you know what? I'll, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I thought Gilligan, uh, Jim, was the one who got me at Salt Lake because I played against him in college for two years and, and tore him up. Yeah. And... You know, that second year back in Salt Lake City, first they sent me to Miami for three months with the Miami Marlins, who was a co-op team. We had guys from like 12 different teams on there. And uh, there were only two or three of us that were free agents. And, you know, I, I wound up dh down there. You know, I got a couple pinch hits and, you know, got my way into the lineup. And hit really well until the last month. I went on like a two for forty skid, and that's when 
they said, okay, you're coming back to Salt Lake. And <clears throat> so we went back to Salt Lake City and, and uh, you know, Gilligan was the manager. And me and Gilly, we, we, we actually did have a lot of that. We were kind of oil and water. And he was always on my case uh, in the name of improvement. He wasn't on Frank's case to be on Frank's case. Although I probably deserved a little of that sometimes. He'll tell he'll tell anybody that uh, how did he say it when we when we broke the record for the winning streak, he said if we broke the record he'll suspend all curfew all fines. And when we broke the record, he likes to tell people that I made more money than Jose Canseco <laughs> that day, just by having my fines levied for breaking the well, record. I'm guessing. He was on your case more for off the field than on the field? Correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He uh, he was well aware that me and my roommate did not go home and eat donuts and drink milk at night. <laughs> we did go out and, and have a few adult beverages. And uh, well, most of the team did anyway. Yeah. But Gilligan liked to remind me Not too much. And I'll tell you what, it, it really all stems from an early season story. When him and a couple of the owners came into one of the clubs in Salt Lake City and and me and my roommate were there. And it was like 1.30 in the morning, 1 in the morning or something. And he comes up to me and he says, Frank, and he's looking at his watch. And I said, yep. He says, yep. That one's going to cost you. And he's, then he says, you better get out of here. So me and my roommate, we go outside and we're trying to hail a cab. And I get this great idea. He's already going to find us. Let's go back in and have a beer. So we did. He comes up to me and he says, Frank, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, Skip, I figure you're already going to find me 25 bucks. I might as well get my $25 worth. <laughs> and, he, and he loves to share that story, too. I ought, to, I ought to give you his number. You could do a podcast with him. Now, that guy can talk, man. He's a professional. But he was always pushing my buttons, you know, in, in uh, creative ways. You know, he had a lot of trust in me. Uh, every night on the road, I would go sit up with him, you know, in the front of the bus, and we'd go over the pitching. And, uh, you know, I can remember on the way home from uh, playing the Brewers in Helena, Montana, he was laying out the pitching for the last playoff series of the season. And... Uh, he wanted to start one of the Japanese guys in game four of the playoffs. And I said, I don't think so. And I told him, we, we need to start Ken Hetrick, who started out the season as our ace, but got some arm, uh, dead arms issues, but it had come back. Yeah. And, and so he started in, and the Brewers, we beat him, and the Brewers bought his contract af right? after the game. <laughs> sure enough. But uh, yeah, but me and Gilly, 
there was and there is a bond today that is very uh, father and son like. I mean, we communicate a lot yeah. still. That's cool. You know, That's cool. I can call him and he'll say, I was just telling, I'm sitting here with six Texas Hall of Famers and I was just telling them how much money you owe me from curfew. <laughs> and you'd hear them all laugh in the background, you know. And, of but, course, he, he went on to be a Hall of Fame coach, Texas Hall of Famer at Lamar University. Yes. He left Lamar to come to the Trappers mm -hmm. and then went back after a, a few more years and, mm -hmm. and finished out a, a stellar career collegiately. So you get into 87, you guys inconspicuously start, what, 3-3, three 4-4, and 4-4, three, three and three. something Yeah, like we that. went up, we opened up on the road and went 3-3. Three and three. And then you come home and the, the magic happens. Yeah. Right? You yeah. just start winning and you just keep winning and winning and winning. And winning. Yeah. You know, when, when we came home from that first road trip, <clears throat> the, the, d during the team stretch, of the first home game, you know, some guys were playing a little grab ass, you know, and Gilligan called me into the dugout. We were down the right field line stretching. So I come in the dugout and it was him and Van Schley and uh, Gilligan not so politely tells me that this is not a FN Country Club. And I said, okay, yeah. And he says, turn around. Look at your team out there. There's guys, there's some guys clowning around. You know, innocently enough, nothingness. <clears throat> and I said, yep. He says, we're three and three. He says, we're not going to be a 500 ball club. You understand that? He says, this is no effing country club. And if the people that don't understand that, there will be changes made. I said, okay. He says, now go get this ball club ready to play. So he's turning to you for leadership. Absolutely. Right and, and, he, and, and he would do that. And I, I have some other stories I'll share with you how he would do that. He was a, He's a slick dude, man. Yeah. I'll tell you that. And uh, so I go out there and I and I give this, you know, I'm pissed off because he just gave me the business and is asking me to come back here and give the business to all my teammates. So I come back and, and you know, I don't address anyone, but I, I, I give a talk that I basically heard a veteran the year before give. And that was... We have to outwork everybody. Starting now and continuing. If we outwork, outplay, out hustle, out everything our opponent, then maybe, just maybe, we'll get a contract. And I'm sure it was interlaced with a lot of other words, you know. And uh, the team got it. 
they got it. You know, we all realized we were on the bottom rung of the professional baseball ladder, you know. We were uh, what people called the misfits. We were the orphans, you know, and we had to take that and, and channel that energy onto the field. And I'll tell you what, that group of guys in 1987 was relentless. You know, when, when we'd walk in the clubhouse, several people would say, who's getting their ass kicked tonight? Meaning, who do we yeah. play? Right. You know? Right. So, so you start this win streak, and early on in the win streak, you, you mentioned your orphans. Um, if I remember right, you've got an actual orphan signed to the team. It was a, your, your buddy from Clinton County you recommended. Yes, John Grunner. Was he a Centralia guy? No, he's from New Baden. Oh, okay, New Baden. Mm-hmm. Close enough to being an orphan. Yes, what, yes. What we so, well, he's he's the baseball coach at Westland for like 25 years yeah, now or something. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, interesting story, okay? We're leaving Idaho Falls, playing the Braves, coming home. And the skipper calls me up to the front seat of the bus. And, uh, yeah, and he says... Have you ever heard of a guy named John Grunner? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. Yeah. He says, how do you think he would do here? I said, he'd do great. He throws three or four pitches for strikes. He'll do real well here. <clears throat> and he's, then the skipper says, how is he compared to Collins? And... The Collins I'm referring to, a guy named Tim Collins. And Tim threw about 100 miles an hour. He was like six foot eight, but he had no control. And uh, I said, well, catching John Grunner is like a day off <laughs> compared to catching Tim Collins. And uh, so, you know, he says, okay, Frank. I went back to the bus and sat down and we pull up in Salt Lake City walk in there, Johnny Grunner's sitting in the locker room. It's 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) And I hear the skipper say, Tim Collins in my office. (laughs) And I knew what was going to go down. I knew they were going to release Tim. So now there's more pressure on you. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm like, John, I I looked at John and I said, hey John, you can just live with me, grab your stuff. And then... Tim, Tim come out of the office and he, you know, he was visibly upset and, you know, I gave him a hug and said, hey man, you never know, maybe see you on the field somewhere else. A year later, I did. Yeah. Yeah. He, the Mariner signed him through a tryout camp. Yeah. And he was throwing a hundred miles an hour and he got signed and, and he joined the team I was with then for about six weeks. Yeah. And I think they let him go then. Mm-hmm. But he he had a he had a powerful arm. He just couldn't find that strike yeah. zone. Yeah. yeah. So so the streak starts going. Mm-hmm. Um, it, at what point do you you and you get your teammates start realizing? Wow, this is pretty cool. You know, everybody. I'm sure it's a long season. You always have a, a three, four, five game win streak here and mm-hmm. there, but. You start getting the eight, nine, double digits, and when 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 does it start? Like, hey, 
I hope this never ends. Right. Yeah, well, you know, the team, the year before, the team had a, I think, a 16-game winning streak. Is that right? And so when we got to uh, 15, I can remember a, a news reporter asking me, Frank, how long can this go? And I said, ah, 25 anyway. You know, and he says, that's a lot. I said, oh, it might, who knows when it's going to stop? You know, I I didn't want to, I wasn't, we didn't know anything about any records yet. Right. So uh, we went on the road and they told us, yeah, we went to Idaho Falls to play the Braves. And they said, if we win the first two games here, we'll tie the league winning streak record at 18, I think it was. And then, uh, so we swept the Braves, you know, and broke the league record. And when we broke the league record, we're all on the bus getting ready to leave. And you could just hear something working its way back to the back of the bus, you know, people talking. And, and all of a sudden, the guy in front of us turned around and goes, the all-time record is 28. If we break that, or it's 27. If we break that, they put us in Cooperstown. And that's when everybody <laughs> took a deep breath. <laughs> what? Cooperstown? So, so you guys are just tearing the cover off the ball. Yeah. Offensively, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, as any one streaks have to happen, you had a couple close calls uh, during it. And two that I, I read about that jumped out is, wow. One, you're losing by seven runs in the seventh inning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tell us how that one ends up. Okay, we were in Pocatello playing the Giants. And, uh, it, and it had been drizzling the whole game. Okay? And we're in the seventh, and it's two to two. Bottom of the seventh, they score seven. Made it nine to two, I think. When we got, when we finally got the third out of that inning, I was walking to our dugout on the first base side of the field, and there's a double rainbow over our dugout, you know, in the eastern sky. And the announcer for the team says, The streak is over! The streak is, and the Giants manager was a guy named Raphael Landestoy. And he came out of their dugout and he's pointing up at that <laughs> press box telling them to shut up. And but anyway, so we get in the dugout and Denny, it's the silence is deafening. I mean nobody bitching, nobody rah rahing, nobody nothing in. Just Silence. And I think this was game 22 or 3. My roommate, Fergie, led the inning off with a home run. By the end of the inning, I had hit a two-run homer to put us up 10 to 9. <laughs> and I think we wound up winning like 12 to 10. But that sun came out, and so did our hitting. Yeah. And man, oh man, and you know what? 
the pitcher from the night before always would go in the booth with the radio guy and do color. Yeah. Well, our pitcher that night, he stole the cassette tape from the yeah. the Giants, you know, recording. And we listened to it on the bus all the way home for about a 15-hour drive. <laughs> so, you know, it, it yeah, was... That's cool. But to come back like that, you know, and, you know, I don't know where I heard it first, but any time I ever was on a team and got down a lot, uh, I would say, hey, guys, have you ever have you ever come back from eight runs down yeah. and won a game? <laughs> and people look at it, you know, and you go... It's so much fun. <laughs> Let's give it a go, yeah. huh? You know, and that's all that club was. And you mentioned another close call. Well, yeah, that that was, uh, and I don't know what point in the streak this was. It, it could have been early, it could have been late. But you, you guys are down in the ninth inning by one run. And now one of my all-time favorite plays as a Cardinal fan was Brummer steals home. Yeah, yeah. Brummer steals yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, tell the story. Okay, we were in Medicine Hat, Canada, playing the Blue Jays. And uh, I was on deck. And we had two out in the ninth, second and third. Our number, I think our three or four hitter up. And two strikes on him. Right-handed hitter. Well, this is the Brummer situation. <laughs> it, 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 I'm telling you. And the guy that was on third base, a guy named John Buter, was a college football player also. I mean, he's a he's a he's just a wall of a guy, right? And uh, apparently Gilligan says to him, hey, can you steal home? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, okay, do it. And he took <laughs> off. And uh, the catcher for the Blue Jays, it was a high fastball, and he tried to snag it down and drop it while well, he's he come down a little early and the ball ticked off his glove and went back to the fence. So while he's going back to the fence to get it, our runner from second continued. He, he never paused. He <laughs> rounded third. So we're down by a run. We Two guys steal home on one play. We get three outs and we get the heck out of Canada. <laughs> you know, my goodness. But, I, you know, I think there was like, I read in an article somewhere that maybe there was eight or nine comeback wins after the sixth inning. Yeah. After the seventh was maybe five or something. I'm not real sure on those details, yeah. but I yeah. did read that somewhere. Yeah. So so now this is where I come into my memory of, of the street. <clears throat> By now it's got national attention, right? You guys mm -hmm. are... are um, all over the, the sports pages. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sitting in my living room in San Angelo, Texas, while I'm in the Air Force. It's a Saturday afternoon. I'm aware of the streaks going on. I had no clue why World of Sports was there. And uh, I'm sitting down watching TV, and I flip around, and lo and behold, Frank Colston is a catcher they're showing at the moment. I, I uh -huh. Like, Ronnie, get in there! <laughs> Come watch this! And we, we proceeded to watch uh, Wide World of Sports and watch you guys get the game clincher that, that broke the record. Uh, uh, and I, I can't remember if it was Jim Lampley or John McKay, but one of the Wide World of Sports guys was interviewing you and and Grunard, I think it was. Was he the winning pitcher? No, he was interviewing me and, and our other roommate. That, that morning... 
the general manager came to my house at like 9.30 in mm-hmm. the morning. And he says, Frank, Wide World of Sports is in town and they want to talk to you. I said, oh, that's great. Okay, when do I got to be there? He says, you need to get up now, get in uniform. And this is 9.30 in the morning, you know. And I said, oh, you got to do it now? And he said, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll go over to Huff's house. That was a, another guy on the team. I said, Wide World of Sports? No, we'll do it. I said, can I bring the guys? They said, He said, yeah, you, this house, you guys come up. So we got there, and me and Fergie sat in the front while Grunert and Blackman played catch behind. And we stood there with the earpiece for probably close to two and a half hours. Is that right? When they finally said, Salt Lake City, wide world of sports coming to you. And it was a, it was a female that interviewed okay. us. Okay. But I'm not sure which one it was. I can't remember, you know. But, uh, yeah, and my roommate, Fergie... Uh, answered two of the three questions. And I told him, I said, hey, bro, last time I take you on a national interview with me, buddy. <laughs> but he was he was the best roommate I ever had. Yeah. He, you know, he's he's not with us anymore. We lost him a couple years ago. And, and uh, just, just an awesome person. Uh, a great day, and then uh, you have a phenomenal game that that day, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what, Denny? My first three at bats, all three times were the bases loaded. Right. And it's the only time in my life I can ever remember that happening. And the first time, the first at bat, bases loaded, a three zero count. Skipper, give me a green light, and uh, got a high fastball, and I swung as hard as I could. And I grunted and, you know, you know, just tried to hit it nine miles, you know. And pitcher didn't like that. He put the next one in my ribs. Yeah. With the bases loaded. <laughs> he put it right in, up under my ribs. And uh, so, and then the next two times, both times I doubled. And so, you know, and I can remember after that second double, standing on second base, that place, it looked like it was vibrating. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, and and I can remember thinking, wow, it, I'm so glad I hit a double. Yeah. Because I'd have never been able to see this. And, <laughs> yeah. and the place just looked like yeah. it was just coming down. It, it really was a, a special moment, you know. Did your celebrity owner make it that game? Was Bill there for the streak? I think I think he was shooting a film. Yeah. He was there for the championship. Okay. Yeah. He was there for the championship because after we won that. I don't think we mentioned Bill Murray, of a, a famous actor fame, if you will, SNL mm-hmm. and multi-talented uh, movie star, was a part owner of the, the Trappers. Correct. Right. Yeah, and his brother Brian Doyle Murray right. also. And uh, they were, you know, Brian was there the whole summer with us, just about. And Bill, a couple different weekends, you know, but he made the yeah. championship. And, and you know, Huey Lewis was in town. And well, that's right. There was a connection there, too. Yeah, well, you, when Bill came the first time, 
Huey Lewis and the band was in the airport flying to Salt Lake City for, for a show. And, and I know this story because the drummer of the band told it to me at the hotel band party. And he said, we were sitting there and they said they spotted Bill and they said, send Bill Murray a bottle of champagne. And so they sent him one and, and then Bill invited him over and they wound up being on the same flight. And they came, they showed up at our game that night in like the seventh inning. And Huey Lewis went and coached first. Uh, Bill Murray only in minor league baseball correct yeah Bill Murray became the ball boy you know he would take the balls out to the umpire the new baseballs and once Salt Lake City seen him they went nuts you know and but uh, yeah and the next day after that the coaching staff Bill and Huey and all of them went golfing well it comes three o'clock there's no coaches at the yard you know, we're all sitting around, and I said, "We don't. Need, we better start hitting. <laughs> we don't need them guys here to tell us take BP." But you know, yeah, they were a little late, but I I chose not to find Gilligan <laughs> for curfew. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, cool stuff. Cool stuff. So you guys go on to. Win 29 in a row, and um, was it uh, anticlimactic when you finally lost, Was it, or, or were you sincerely bummed, like, oh, man, can't believe we lost? Uh, well, the game we lost, we went to Billings, and we were playing the Reds, and Gilligan gave me the night off, because I, I had, my shoulder was, was playing with me a little bit, and uh, the first inning, the Reds loaded the bases, and our center fielder made a catch that they called a trap, and the Reds went on to score five that inning. We lost the game seven to five, but, you know, we got those breaks for 29 days, yeah. you know? Yeah. Not to mention when the streak ended, I think we played like 500 ball the rest of the year. We were beat up. We were, we were emotionally spent. Right. You know, and in a seventy-two game short season, we had four champagne festivals. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when we broke the league record, when we broke the all-time record, when we clinched a playoff spot. Now that you want to talk about an anticlimactic champagne thing. <laughs> We all stood outside the bus we were in. I don't even know where we were. And everybody like took a drink out of the champagne bottle, passed it, and just went <laughs> to their hotel room. You know, but we, we were so, we weren't playing good ball and those last couple weeks. And we did not want to not win the playoffs. You know, after the streak, we had to win the playoffs. And, uh, Gilligan actually went and signed a backup catcher for me. I think he was trying to light more fire under me. He did, he called a guy, he had a guy come in. He had the guy throw four balls to second base and goes, "Heard you're going to front office over there. I'm going to come in here and tell him I'm going to sign you." And he did it in front of me, just like for the whole gig. The guy never touched the field. 
you know. But but he would do things like that. You know what? Here, I got to tell you this one, Denny. All right. And this was a comeback during the streak. We're down by five runs at home. And we get a third out. And I'm coming off, to the, off the field. Gilligan's going to coach third base and he grabs me. He says, hey, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, what the hell are you doing, Frankie? I said, well, uh, what do you mean? He says, I'll tell you what I mean. You better wake these boys up. And I go, okay, what do you want me to do, Skip? He says, I don't care if you got to wave pom-poms and turn cartwheels. You wake them up. And I went, okay. So I go in the dugout, you know, and I'm half pissed off. And I'm like, you know, I'm yelling some BS, you know, let's go, wake up, blah de blah de blah, we and all of a sudden the third baseman, he's not for some reason he's not in the dugout yet. He's late. I'm down in the dugout, he's up he's up on top of the steps, and he tells me to shut up. I told him, I said, Well, you don't know me that well yet. And he threw his glove at me. And I reached up and I pulled him down into the dugout <laughs> and uh, I punched him in the mouth. I'm not proud of that and I have apologized to that man. <laughs> we scored seven runs that inning. <laughs> and the guy that I punched hit right in front of me. So we're out there on the on-deck circle basically together, you know. He drove in three runs that inning. I made him out. <laughs> anyway, we take the lead, right? I go back out to catch the next inning. Gilligan's coming from the other team's dugout, third base dugout. I don't know what he was doing there. He comes around and he puts his arm on my shoulder while I'm catching and he says, that a baby. <laughs> like that. And, uh, the third baseman was late getting to the dugout because after talking to me, Gilligan grabbed him. Yeah. <laughs> and I think told him, said, go tell Frank to shut his mouth. <laughs> true story. Yeah. <laughs> yes, true story. Yeah, he pressed the right button, it appears. He was a great button pusher. <laughs> great button pusher. And I, I love what he tells me. Frankie, you're the toughest guy that ever played for me. But he always says this right afterwards. You're not my favorite. <laughs> you're not my favorite. Kevin Millar is. <laughs> but you're the toughest. Well, um, I know we got to cut it short here, Frank, because uh, we got things to do. But, man, what a, what a fun hour and a half here. Uh, uh, reminiscing here, just um, um, a lot of people um, watched you through the years athletically, and you, you haven't disappointed in uh, um, uh, the connections. And there's so much more to dive in with you when you talk about the bar and the restaurant and your your screenwriting and your acting and your yeah. um, Legion ball and your Clinton County League and, and different things like that. So so. 
Uh, I'll invite you back for another round if you're up for it. Oh, I'd love to. We'll pick up part two, but thanks for sharing these outstanding stories of uh, uh, baseball up through the streak here, and uh, uh, really enjoyed it. Appreciate you coming out. Thank you, Denny. I I appreciate you greatly, and uh, you know, it's a great story. That streak story, it really is. It's a story of hope. Yeah. And you know, Like one of them guys said, never give up hope. That's right. Well, I know you got a, a reunion with some of the fellas coming up here in a, yes. in a few weeks, so so enjoy that and uh, uh, relive those moments. I do it all the time. Uh, we, we all got a little Al Bundy in us and uh, you bet. talking about our plays at Polk High. So, uh, <laughs> that's Frank Colston. I'm uh, Denny Rittenhouse. Thanks for joining us from the bench with Dench. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I sure did. Uh, so until next time, we'll do it again. Thanks. Thanks for joining From the Bench with Dench. Remember, you can find all our episodes on Spotify or Apple Music, Amazon, uh, Google, wherever you stream, and many other streaming services. History is there. Feel free to grab them and tune in. Thanks for joining. We look forward to another episode.